0: welcome to this podcast, My Positive Birth. A little corner of the internet where I will be collecting positive stories from women birthing their babies across the UK. My name is Lisa. I'm a doula in South West London. I have three children and two positive birth stories. I truly believe that we can all learn so much by listening to the positive stories of women and families who have gone before us. What their birth experience was like, what they did, how they felt, how they feel now a few months or even years later. So come and surround yourself with positive birth stories, told in women's own words, and I hope you'll find a village here to calm you but also to inspire you and give you confidence in birth. All women and babies deserve a positive birth experience. So let's get cracking on today's episode. Hello, it's Lisa here. And I thought I'd start the podcast off telling my own positive birth story. Usually I'll be interviewing other people, but I do have two positive birth stories to tell. And I'd love to tell you about my first one today. To know, to understand this story, um, I think it is important to know a little bit about my first birth. So I was pregnant back in 2012. Mercifully smooth conception. Really pretty healthy and smooth pregnancy. I had quite a lot of sickness in the beginning, but, but absolutely nothing um, compared to some women. I was working, um, I had two friends who were pregnant at the same time. So that was really exciting. Things were generally going well. Over the course of the pregnancy, um, I'd known absolutely nothing about birth prior to this pregnancy. So I'd started to get interested in it and really my mentality is to date, to that date, was one of which, you know, I try hard at something and it will go well. So I will try hard at understanding birth and preparing for birth and then everything will be fine. It was I don't think I would have told you that that was my background narrative, um, but that's very much the way I approached things. I didn't, I went to antenatal classes, but they didn't talk a whole lot about the process of birth. I did buy a book on, um, it was called natural childbirth, the Bradley way, and actually now looking back on it, the parts of that book are really, really quite wacky and, um, they have a very sort of coached approach to. Um, The pushing stage of labor, which has just ended up being so different from my own experiences. But there was a really good description of Mm -hmm. um, how the baby sort of comes out. And as I read that, and as I looked into birth in the UK and what I might encounter in hospital, I started to think, you know, I think I'd really like to have my baby at home. And so... We booked with the home birth team for our local area. And I got more and more into that idea. I got to about 34 weeks pregnant and there'd been glucose in my urine at a couple of my appointments. So the home birth midwife said, uh, probably means nothing at all, but let's just get you a glucose tolerance test. That's what it's called at the hospital, just to see if anything's going on. I went to that test. I literally had absolutely no thoughts in my head that i would come back as having any sort of illness it just just wasn't even a thing and you know that reveals my privilege of my um mercifully really healthy life to date i just felt so well um but i was absolutely astounded when that test did come back positive, and I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes and things from there on in, in that pregnancy were, were a bit of a whirlwind for me. Um, so I remember being really surprised about it to start with. I then suddenly was on this completely different pathway regarding my birth when I was planned. I don't remember the details, but to me, it felt like I was just kicked off the home birth team. I I don't remember a conversation or a, or a dialogue. Um, perhaps that's being unfair, but that's sort of my memory of it. I was having an appointment with a diabetes midwife. She was saying, oh, you know, we're going to want to induce you soon. I was probably about 36 weeks by this stage. Um, and you know, I said, oh, well, I, I, I don't really want that. Um, so she said, right, well, we'll book you in with the consultant. Um, so I thought, fine, I'll go and see the consultant. I had an absolutely, unfortunately catastrophic appointment with that consultant where she put me under a lot of pressure to accept an induction. I can't actually remember if the induction would have been um, at 39 weeks or at 40 weeks, but neither of which were what I wanted. I'd always felt that I was going to go very overdue. Um, I don't really like that term, but very much beyond my due date. That was, I remember my mum talking to us about that, our, our whole lives that me and my brother had come two weeks after our due date. So just felt like my baby had had a lot more growing to do. They, I asked the consultant to provide me the evidence that she was uh, using to give me this recommendation to be induced. And she gave me the result of two studies and I went home and looked them up. And both of the studies were just talking about the parameters by which we should diagnose women with gestational diabetes. And actually I realized now, you know, my timing was difficult because there'd just been a big study. And they decided to massively change the boundaries for when you would be diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And prior to that, yeah, perhaps I wouldn't have been, but anyway, I was. And, but the research that the consultant provided didn't uh, provide me with any sort of understanding of why I should be induced before my baby was ready. And I remember saying to her, "Oh, I remember, this this is all very stressful. I know I can talk about it calmly now, um, but it was very stressful at the time. And I remember writing a letter to her about four o'clock in the morning. And I said, you know, you say you're worried about my baby getting stuck. But induction also carries an increased risk of that, which is called shoulder dystocia. And it's thankfully rare in all cases. Um, You know, it's, it's a small risk, but I said, you know, you are prioritizing one risk over another. Basically, I feel like it comes down to a judgment call and you've made your judgment call that I should be induced, but I am free to make mine and I would rather wait for my baby to arrive. I should say that I had been easily able to control my diet. So my blood sugars were in the normal range very quickly, but obviously I was diagnosed a bit later on, so I don't know how they'd been for the rest of the pregnancy. Anyway, as this is not actually the best story I'm meant to be talking about, long story short, I changed hospitals. I was so upset by that appointment, changed hospitals at 37 weeks pregnant. I met with a senior midwife at the new hospital and we came up with a plan that I would use the birth centre up to 42 weeks pregnant, which was actually slightly beyond when um, anyone was allowed to use the birth centre. And then really um, difficult for me at the time, I hadn't gone into labour by 42 weeks. I was extremely stressed by that point. Um, But I hadn't gone into labour and so I did agree, agree to an induction, And for me, that wasn't a positive experience. Now my mindset going into it was, was very resigned and yes, so how much that contributed to it, I don't know, but my birth ended up, um, I ended up needing pessary and then had my waters broken. Then I went on a hormone drip and eventually my son was born with the help of forceps. And I had, um, quite a lot of blood loss afterwards and also a third degree tear, which is, which is a more severe tear that needs to be, um, repaired in surgery. So we, you know, we had it, we had a rocky road and and it was a rocky first year of which I'm sure the birth contributed to, but I think also my personality being what it is, I just found the transition to motherhood really tough as well and kind of so much needing to release and surrender and be in the moment and hard to plan and control all this goes really against my own personality so it was a hard first year for me so that was my first birth that's the context to this story so me and my husband Started talking about having another baby. My husband's um, about thirteen years older than me, so we thought, you know, if we want to have another baby, we don't want to have a big gap between them. But at the same time, this year has been the hardest year of my life, and and how can I look after another baby? So then my husband said as he was doing consultancy work at the time, you know, should we look into him taking six months off if we were to have another baby? So that was amazing to me. And that was really all I needed to encourage me that it would be a good idea to have another, have another baby. We were really blessed. Um, We conceived her really quickly. So... There's only, um, there's just less than two years between them. So really yeah, pretty soon after I started to feel myself again, well, my new self, I very much believe that motherhood is a fundamental transition. So I, I'm not here who, who I was before, but I started to feel well and pretty soon I was pregnant again. Now this time I had a bit of a, a bit of a list. If you, um, if you think from my previous story. Say I had the gestational diabetes to think about, I had the postpartum hemorrhage to think about, I had the third degree tear to think about. These are all things that um, would put me into a higher risk category, according to the NHS. And I also had the fact that I hadn't actually gone into labor by 42 weeks. And part of my frustration with that was I pretty much knew when I conceived because my husband was traveling for work. Um, so, you know, the, the, I knew I knew when I'd conceived. And when I went for my 12 week scan, my due date was moved forward by five days. And I, and I remember saying to them at the time, you know, I, don't, I think that's probably not right And them saying, oh, it won't make any difference whatsoever. Well, then when I got to the end of my pregnancy, you know, every day felt so loaded within the system that, you know, I was getting closer to some sort of tipping point. um, Where, yeah, as Sarah Wickham, who's an amazing lady in the birth world. But, you know, my baby felt like my baby was going to turn into a pumpkin. So I had all these things to think about this second time around. And, you know, probably representative of me being me, I put a lot of thought into it. And, I, you know, this approach would not be the right one for some people, but but this is who I am. So the first thing that I'd done, even before we'd conceived, was I'd started tracking my ovulation because I wanted to be 100% clear on when this baby was conceived because I wanted to be really confident of my due date. So I knew when I'd ovulated the month that I fell pregnant with um, my daughter, Elsa. And then I decided that I would have an early scan in the hospital. And hopefully the due date they gave me from that would, would be close to the one that, that I thought was correct. And then I wouldn't go for the 12 week scan, which was when they'd previously changed my dates so much for me I decided that I wasn't going to have um, the screening for genetic disorders at 12 weeks so that wasn't a factor for me that that I decided not to have that scan Um, so I went for a scan about eight or nine weeks they did give me a due date which I felt was you know fairly compatible with my ovulation test. So due date, you know, due date tick, I felt like I at least had a reasonable due date in my notes. I also decided not to have any gestational diabetes testing done via the hospital. They would at that point in time, I'm not sure if they still do, but they would have sent me for another glucose tolerance test. But I really, whether I'd wanted to be tested or not or gone under the hospital for, for gestational diabetes. I never saw the point in having that test because I already had a way of monitoring my blood sugars at home, which was all set up in my first pregnancy. So I thought, well, I, you know, I'll just do that myself, which is which is all that the result of a positive glucose tolerance test would, would tell me anyway. So I started to monitor my blood sugars at home. My blood sugars certainly would have been outside of the NHS ranges if I hadn't very carefully um, chosen my diet during my pregnancy I still feel I felt at the time I think there's still a growing body of thought as to how normal insulin resistance is in pregnancy and um, whether you know I had a pathology whether I had an illness or whether my body was just responding to pregnancy as, as some women do. But anyway, reg- regardless of that, I wanted to be absolutely sure this time that my baby wouldn't be having excess glucose during the pregnancy. And therefore I could be really confident that my body wasn't going to make a baby that that wasn't going to fit out of my pelvis. So I monitored my own blood sugars and I did, you know, I needed to keep my diet very tight to keep within the ranges but I but I did and I and I broadly did that for my whole for my whole pregnancy so that was sort of the gestational diabetes tick I the the postpartum hemorrhage I had always felt that that was all caused by the the quite serious tear that I had. Um, there was no documentation relating to that. So it was just recorded as a hemorrhage, which, which can be bleeding from the site of the placenta as well. Um, but I, in my mind, I felt comfortable that that was from the tear. And therefore, if I didn't tear like that again, I wouldn't need to worry too much about blood loss. So I declined an appointment with the consultant for that. And the tear itself, mercifully had just felt it, always felt it had been healed really well and that my physical recovery from the birth had considering uh, what I'd been through had, had been really good. So again, I can't remember if that would have been the same consult, probably would have been the same consultant appointment to discuss that as the hemorrhage one. So either way those they, I declined, and I decided this time that I wanted to have I wanted to have a home birth. You know, I felt I I'd kind of you know I'd done it I'd done it reluctantly, really, the kind of systems way, particularly with the label that I had as a high risk woman, even though I I didn't feel high risk, and um, my gestational diabetes was completely controlled by the end of the pregnancy. But you know, this time I really didn't feel like a high risk woman. I knew my blood sugars were normal for the, for the whole of the pregnancy. So I decided I wanted a home birth and I remember ringing up the hospital to book this in and I think that phone call was a little bit difficult I feel like somebody said something I don't know if my gestational diabetes came up or something and, and somebody said something to me along the lines of oh you know I'm not sure you're going to be allowed and that was a bit of a trigger for me and I felt just this visceral wobbliness and that was the only time I really felt that with it with a health professional in, in that pregnancy, although it will become clear why as I as I tell my story because I because I actually then got amazing support. Um, but you know, I remember thinking, oh, there's there's stuff buried here when I had that reaction that that I'd sort of yeah, probably rather not revisit at this point in time anyway. So anyway, that the result of that phone call, even though it was a bit tricky, was that I would have this appointment with the home birth midwife and I, she's a lady called Maria. I remember Maria coming to my house when I was, I think just over 20 weeks pregnant. This was in 2014 that my daughter was born. I remember it so clearly still, still makes me emotional thinking about it. So Maria arrived and my husband, Tim, who had been an amazing advocate for me the the whole time and, and was really on board with everything I said, and that that was really important to me, you know, mothers want to make good choices for their babies. And and all the time, that was all I wanted all the time. Like, and I felt in my first pregnancy, people were suggesting that I didn't want to keep my baby safe. But I knew that I was the one who wanted to keep my baby safe, more than anything. Um, So Tim was brilliant. But as Maria arrived, he said, I've just got to take this phone call for work, I'll just be five minutes. And then I'll come to help you. So I thought, okay, that's fine. And Maria came down, came in. She sat down. She said, "You know, I see, I hear that you're interested in booking a home birth." And I said to her, "I am. I want. I know. I want a home birth. I've got these things X, Y, Z, um, which which might mean that it goes against your guidelines. But I've thought these things through, just just like I explained to you guys on, on the podcast." And I still want a home birth. And she said to me, I can tell you've thought it all through. You know, that sounds that sounds brilliant. Um, I'd love to support you. And it literally, I mean, honestly, I want, I want to cry, but that's not very conducive to recording. Um, it took less than five minutes, less than the duration of Tim's phone call. And he came in, I was in absolute floods of tears. And he, you know, he probably thought, oh, what is, you know, what has Maria said to her? Um, I couldn't even tell him that I was just crying because I was just so relieved that somebody had listened to me and somebody was, somebody was prepared to support me. And also she didn't think that I was mad. Uh, she, she could see that, that I wanted the best for my baby. And and I believed that, that planning this birth this way was that. So that was amazing. And... Maria did all my appointments from then on at home, which was lovely too. I don't think I remember Maria saying to me at at that appointment, she said, you know, great. We've, we've got you booked in, um, what we need to work on is your confidence. Because I think the experience last time has taken a lot from you and I didn't even really resonate with that at the time. I just thought now, you know, great. I've got, I've got my home birth booked in. Um. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, You know, that's all I needed. I didn't really think about my confidence. So the pregnancy went on uh, beautifully, uneventfully. Maria came for every appointment. I just carried on monitoring my blood sugars. I did find that a bit of a drain because it felt like a bit of a test and I had to test, oh, I didn't have to, but I was testing my blood sugars four times a day. But they were fine. Maria felt the baby was fine. I felt the baby was fine, which she would say is far more important. I got to my due date, had absolutely no expectation that the baby would, would have arrived by then. Just again, felt very, very clear that my babies would like to take a little bit longer to appear in the world. In fact, I think I had my baby shower planned for a couple of days after my G date. <laughs> That's how confident I was that there would be no baby by then. And I was right. And I was fine. Um I got to about 41 weeks and I was fine. And then every day then felt felt like it it started to feel quite long. And I really started to lose well lose confidence Uh, you know I was low on confidence and I just started to think maybe my body can't go into labor or or maybe my body keeps hold of its babies too long or maybe I, I will need to be induced again and I remember it must have been Sunday Sunday evening and I started to get very sort of mild cramps. And I think I had a bit of a show when I went to the, to the bathroom. I think I wondered if my waters had gone very gently. Um, but I didn't really want to think about it, but these cramps, you know, I started to get a bit, a bit excited. Um, and I stayed up all night, I think. Uh, but very, very mild, very stop, start, you know, nothing with any sort of pattern or any sort of intensity that was actually physically challenging me at all. Just mentally, I was at the end of my rope, um, You know, is this, I think at that point, I I just don't even know what I was thinking, but I think I still wasn't thinking I was in labor because I remember Maria coming the next morning for a routine appointment. And I remember saying to her, oh, Maria, you know, do you think I should go for a sweep, which was something that I I hadn't particularly planned to have in, in this, in this pregnancy you know do you think I should be in induced should I be having extra monitoring (laughs) and I think you know Maria was looking at me and thinking I'm pretty sure you're in labor Lisa but um you know she was she was really kind I remember her just giving me some date she was like I think it it was it was um Monday by now and she was like okay let's say on Thursday you know if nothing's happened you'll go to the hospital and you know Maria knew full well that there would be a baby by by Thursday So I was still getting these cramps and I was so restless mentally and physically. I was just so restless. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I think this is it. This is labor. I had a few friends who'd had second babies by this point in time. And I thought, great, you know, they had just started contractions and they just ramped up. And then within a few hours, they'd had a baby. So... If that's what, you know, if I'm in labor, that's what will happen to me. And I remember shipping my little son, he was just less than two off to his grandparents, which is where he was going to go. It was, it was this time of year that I'm recording this podcast now in June because Wimbledon tennis was on and I live in Wimbledon. And I remember spending that day bouncing on my ball, walking up and down the stairs, watching the tennis, restless, restless, restless not really counting or thinking about anything just thinking about the fact that what was this because it wasn't really going anywhere and then I remember asking my husband to bring my son back and I remember being embarrassed it just seems ridiculous now but I just remember thinking this is so embarrassing like I've told everyone that I'm in labour and nothing really is happening and I don't have a baby and now I've got to tell them that actually I'm not in labour and my son can come home so he came back I remember my husband putting him to bed I was just all over the place I remember making myself some cheese on toast and eating that so that was probably about half past seven in the evening I think if I got up and walked around, I would feel these cramps, but if I lay down, they would just go away altogether. So it got to about half past nine and I was exhausted by this point in time. I just had a whole day of just pacing around, basically watching my body, waiting for something to happen. So me and Tim, my husband, we decided that we would set up a bed for me. Downstairs, And that was what I wanted. He didn't, he didn't kick me out of our bedroom. Um, we'd set up a bed for me downstairs so I could just be restless. And hopefully he would get some sleep. And he texted Maria. We still got the text at about half past nine. He said, you know, things have died down. We'll try and get some sleep. So she said, okay, that's great. You know, everything's fine. So I did sleep for a couple of hours because I was absolutely exhausted and then just before 11pm long really intense contractions started to wake me up I remember being so exhausted that I slept between them and they were according to the actual birth book that I'd read you know they were really quite far apart I i never timed anything um but they were long enough apart that I could have a little sleep between them. But then they started to get a bit closer together and I put the TENS machine on. And then I wake Tim up. This must have all happened quite quickly. So I woke him up at at some point and I said, oh, can you, you know, can you fill out the pool? It does feel like things have maybe moved on a bit. I, I still, wasn't really convinced that I was in labor. I just thought, you know, I don't think I can do this. Uh, So this probably isn't, this probably isn't labor. The other thing that was really important to me was in my first birth, there'd come a point where I'd gone up onto the ward and they'd started me on the oxytocin drip. And the consultant had said to me, you know, do you want to have an epidural at the same time as you have this drip? And because contractions on the drip can feel quite different to ones that the body, that the body initiates. And I was like, no, I don't want an F-short. I, I just, I didn't want any of it. Like, how, how could I agree to anything? But once I had contractions stimulated by the drip, they were absolute agony to me. And there was a very clear point to me in my labor where I, where I broke mentally and I was suffering so much and I was just screaming like a, like a wounded animal. Um, and you know, that's very personal to me and not the experience of everybody, but I just had this memory from my first labor of that, that mental breaking point, And I, and I felt like I never got back from that point. And so in this labor, I was just so determined not to break mentally. So I just kept telling myself, you've got ages to go. This might not even be labor, you know, just, just keep going. Um, and then say Tim was filling the pool, which I believe. Didn't go very well because there was some sort of issue with the, with the hose that he was very distracted. Suddenly my body decided to show me that it really did know how to contract. And I had, I think it was about 45 minutes, but this is only piecing it together from, you know, thinking about it afterwards. I think I had about 45 minutes of just pretty intense contractions with very little break. And I didn't know what to do with myself. um, But equally, it felt very much within me. Never occurred to me that this was the time that I should call a midwife, Um, it never occurred to me. I had my TENS machine on and I remember really appreciating that and the boost button was sort of a permanent trigger. I remember accidentally, I must have had my phone right next to me and I accidentally called one of my best friends and left her a voicemail of whilst I was contracting and to this day she assures me that she did not listen to it but she might just be being very kind. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, I was still around and I, you know I was able to notice that and, and hang up and think I didn't really think much about it at the time I was busy I was busy but I wasn't suffering I was just in the moment I think and and still I think telling myself you know you could you could have ages to go I also did start thinking during that very intense period you know what am i what am i doing and can i actually do this at home and and do i need an epidural and you know has this been a good idea and then somehow i decided that i needed to get in that pool and the pool was upstairs i was downstairs and i remember i felt a bit like a hippo searching for water and In my memory, but, you know, sadly, there's no one around to confirm or deny this. I feel like I sort of strayed up the stairs, stripping off the very little I had on anyway. As I went up, I must have ripped off the TENS machine and I was like, yeah, I was like a hippo. I was getting in that water. I think Tim wanted to tell me that it still wasn't quite full up or it wasn't quite the right temperature, but there was no, I had no interest in, in anything he had to say and I was in, and that was great. That felt really good to get in the water. And then I wasn't in there very long at all. And I, and I don't know, I, maybe I had one or two contractions and then suddenly, and that, you know, this, this makes me quite emotional as well. Suddenly I had this contraction and I had no idea what was happening to me, but I just felt like my body was vomiting in reverse it was the most powerful incredible feeling that i have ever felt in my life and you know the physicality of my body at that point in time is just something that to this day astounds me and i thought well (laughs) i you know i think my i think my body is 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 birthing this baby um I was absolutely mentally astounded and and didn't really believe it. And Tim rang Maria. He'd perhaps rang her a few minutes earlier, actually, and said that I was in the pool. So she said, okay, I'm on my way. But I, you know, the second one of these boofy, amazing contractions. And I was like, oh, I, I think I can feel the baby's head and we didn't know if it's a boy or girl at this point in time so he rang Maria back and Maria was like I don't I think I'm not gonna make it um you know you've only rung me like two minutes ago so she said call 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 an ambulance Tim is very much the kind of person who would want to do that at that point in time I didn't care less what what anyone was doing um I didn't feel scared I don't remember feeling scared. I just remember being totally in the moment and I was shocked. But at the same time, oh, those contractions, I just had absolutely no doubt that my baby was going to be born. And, you know, when I think of myself lying on my back with those forceps in my first birth. And I think, you know, if we were worried about that baby getting stuck, not harnessing the power of these contractions just seems ridiculous. This, you know, if I could have harnessed that in my first birth, then I, then I am in no doubt that that would have given my baby his best chance of of being birthed. Um, I wasn't thinking like that at the moment. I was just thinking, oh, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm going to have another baby. And, and you know, being sort of in awe and sort of in fear of the, those contractions at the same time because they were so powerful. So I had another one and and her head was burst. And I remember putting my hand down, this is another just uh, tearful moment, putting my hand down and feeling my baby's head and I felt her head spin in my hands. And this was something that I'd, read about in this, in this birth book about childbirth. And I'd also read in that book, you know, that this is something that maybe doctors don't often see because, because they don't see undisturbed physiological births. So I felt her head spin when she was still in, you know, her body was still inside me and I remember just thinking this, this is incredible. And then one more enormous contraction. And she was, she was born. Tim was like doing his own thing on the phone. So I remember that I sort of heard him, I heard the operator answer and I heard him say, um, woman in labor head emerging. And I've always teased him about that afterwards at this sort of momentous moment in our lives of his daughter being born. It wasn't like, oh, my wife's having our baby. Um, but he said that he very much feels that. That was the most accurate way to get the information across and accuracy and speed was what was needed at that moment so tim was on the phone to a lady called lucy and uh you know they were fine she was asking him questions i was just in my own world and i you know i just picked my baby up and seemed completely normal and we just sat there Staring at her, each other for for a little while. Um, I was still in the water, obviously. She was on my chest. She didn't she didn't cry. I remember she had one eye open and she was sort of looking around. She looked pink. She looked great. I wasn't worried about her at any point in time. And then she let out a little cry, which satisfied Lucy on the on the other end of the phone. And we just rested for a minute. Uh, We didn't get a huge amount of time doing that because the ambulance people arrived very quickly and they wanted me to get out of the, no, they wanted to cut the cord. And when Caleb was born, my son, my first birth, I'd been very annoyed because, because they said he had meconium in his waters, which I was never sure about. And I thought was probably because he was, because he was, you know, 42 weeks ish they'd in my memory they would pretty much cut the cord straight away even though he looked completely healthy and he was absolutely screaming his head off they cut the cord in order for the doctors to look at him and I just I regret I, I don't have actually many regrets from my first birth at all I just felt like it was what it was and I did the best I could within the system I was in um but that had annoyed me that they'd cut his cord And so I didn't want that to happen this time around. So I said, you know, no, I I don't want you to cut my cord. And he said, okay, then you'll have to get out of the pool. So I was like, fine, I'll get, I'll get out of the pool. Um, and then Maria came not long afterwards and a little bit, unfortunately what, you know, Maria had gone outside guidelines for me and i will forever be grateful to her so all she'd done which is what anyone can do is she documented that i was making choices that as a woman i'm entitled to make for me and my baby but unfortunately it it takes guts within the nhs to do that um so she had said to me you know if you tear this time because you had such a severe tear last time then You know, I prefer it if you went into hospital to have it stitched and I had torn, um, I had two second degree tears. So not as serious as that third degree tear, but, but quite, quite significant tearing. So, I mean, I didn't really care at that point. I, I was happy to go into the hospital. I was happy to do anything. (laughs) I had my baby in my arms and I'd burst her at home on my own I I literally you could have asked me to do anything at that point in time and I and I would have done it and say I did go in for that so we didn't get our sort of bubble at home and she didn't get to meet her brother before we left for the hospital because this was all she was born at about 1am but you know beyond that I was just absolutely on cloud nine and i remember maria saying to me which was so lovely um because actually i think she had to do quite a lot of paperwork because elsa was born before she'd arrived they call it bba born before arrival it's probably a bit of a headache for her um but she said to me lisa this is absolutely the best way that it could have happened because now you will be in no doubt that it was your body and it was you that birthed your baby. If I'd have been here, you know, you might've thought that I contributed in some way, but now you can be absolutely sure that, that it was, that it was all you. And that was so lovely. And that has always stayed with me. Um, Just, yeah, absolutely incredible moment. To be honest, I was on a complete crazy high after he was, after she was born, I couldn't believe how different I felt to my first birth and actually I did far too much and I didn't rest and I was in John Lewis, uh, picking wallpaper cause we were moving house, obviously as everyone does when they, when they have a new baby, I was like rushing around. I wanted to be superwoman. I remember having my in-laws around, like having them around for lunch, really soon after she was born and actually my recovery was slow. It was the toughest recovery of the the three, um, but mentally about the birth, I was just on cloud nine and I, and I still, I'm still on cloud nine and she is going to turn eight tomorrow. And I, you know, that moment was absolutely transformative for me. I just, I really feel it, it's changed me as a person and, and just given me so much confidence and so much awe in in what my body was designed to do, you know, not only making her, but, but bringing her forth. And, uh, it was just such a positive experience. And I just share a couple of reflections, um, that I, that I've had since then. Um, I think one, you know, one is that I am not somebody who would have chosen to birth alone. So as it, as it turned out, it was brilliant, and actually, if I'd known that outcome, then then maybe I would be someone who who would have birthed alone. I'm very much a solitary birther, so I didn't want anyone around me. I would definitely not want to be massaged or touched, and you know, I didn't want my children there. And these are, these are all things that my my uh, you know my thinking brain doesn't agree with, and I'm like, oh, I want birth to be normal for my kids, and but my labouring my laboring brain that doesn't have people around um but but I, I you know I think I would have liked somebody there just yeah because because that that's a blessing to be able to have that if that's what you want but you know it's on a very deep level that my trust was broken in the, in that first birth and and I think my laboring brain just just wouldn't let them be there I think a combination of that and the fact that I was in denial that I was that I was in labor, but my third birth, which I won't talk about, I only called them for the last four minutes. So, you know, again, just shows the power to me of communication and the way you're treated and how your choices are respected. And if you're clearly, like, quite an extreme person like me, that can have have a big impact, and, and we need to acknowledge that. And then the other thing, the thing that was really hugely beneficial for me for my third birth was I, um, read this, um, it's a book now by this amazing dealer called Natalie Meddings. And the book is called how to have a baby. And I would really recommend that you read it. But Natalie had talked to me about this concept of a first room of labor and a second room of labor as kind of mapping out the pathway for how labor happened. And The first room of labor is when you're not, you are in labor. You're absolutely, your body is getting ready to birth your baby, but you know, you're not having to do hard work at that point. And basically, you know, only give labor the attention it deserves. So whilst you're in that first room, just distract yourself, do other things. And actually, had I done that, you know, I could have ignored my labor right up until two hours before before Elsa was born, and that's basically what I did for my third birth. I also had a very long early stage. My body obviously it likes to, you know, think about things for a long time. <laughs> I've also heard Natalie say, you know, your body needs to release, it needs to accept that you're gonna birth this baby. And and if you're you know, I'm quite a controlling person and I and I think my body needed a while to uh, for me to consent to that so you know the same thing happened with my third baby but i ignored it all and i only honed in when i had to when i got into that second room serious work of labor absolutely no choice but to really focus on it and that meant that that birth felt much shorter and um compared to elsa's birth so that was a real learning that i did um a kind of, I don't think improvements the right word, but a different approach that I that I perhaps wished I'd known about before I went into labour with with my second with Elsa. So I'd just share that with you now. But yes, I, I've absolutely loved um telling this story again and remembering it all and just feeling so thankful that I got that experience, but you know it wasn't i didn't just chance i didn't fall into it i really had to be quite prepared and i really had to have conviction in in what i believed and now i have confidence in my body and i didn't have i had a sort of theoretical confidence and since elsa's birth i have a real tangible confidence as well um in my body's ability to to birth a baby and yeah it was an absolutely incredible experience so if anything's come up in this episode that you're interested in or you'd like to talk to me about i would be delighted to do that so all my contact information is in the notes for the podcast and please do get in touch if you'd like to talk about anything at all and goodbye for now this podcast does not present itself as medical advice and neither should it be taken as such The views represented here are personal to the women telling their stories. Sorry for this slightly patronising disclaimer, but such is the world we live in today. Always seek out the information you need before making your own decisions.